I'm yellow. All right, let's uh, open up our Bibles, and I'll tell you where in a second. Just open them up, just anywhere is good. <laughs> All right, uh, turn to Psalm 103. We're talking about the uh, attributes of God in our study. We're using John Frame's systematic theology as kind of the bare bones of our discussions. Um, and and uh, I've had a good time in this so far. Uh, we've introduced the idea of lordship. In fact, we're going to revisit that today uh, in this next hour as we continue uh, on our new series. Uh, but uh, then we saw his lordship over all things. That's a central message, and that's how we that's how we understand the scripture. He's Lord, and that's the grand theme. And then we talked about uh, his acts, and that's uh, his creation and providence and miracles and uh, decrees of God. Those are the acts of God, uh, and what we learned from his acts. And we started talking about his. His attributes. What are attributes? They are the things that are asserted to be true about God um, in the Scriptures. The Scriptures assert certain things to be true about the God that we serve. And we started with with uh, with with uh, the ethical attributes, if you would, uh, the goodness and love of God, and we've been building upon that. Uh, we talked about His saving love and um, His grace, uh, specifically what uh, those that benevolence He has specifically for those to whom He saves. He has grace upon us. He gives us grace. He saves us by grace. And we talked about this idea of common grace, which which is related more to a common love He has for all, a common a common. Uh, patience and long-suffering. He restrains sin. He gives temporal blessings. He restrains His wrath and sets that aside and His long-suffering and kindness and common grace. He, he allows unregen- or uses unregenerate people to do good. Uh, you, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Um, uh, he he uh, gives truth the knowledge of the truth to unregenerate people, and those people even experience the conviction, the conviction of the Spirit and the good things of the Spirit. He convinces the world, not just those that are saved, He convinces the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment in John chapter 16. So we talked about this idea of common grace, and we're not trying to change the term. It may not be a very exact term, but that's the common grace. And then last week we talked about His covenant love, uh, this idea of Him keeping mercy, uh, where He says, I'm keeping mercy. And this idea of what that word uh, has said in the Old Testament, or, uh, or the word elios in the New Testament Greek, uh, is, has this idea of God having not, it's usually translated mercy, but it has this idea of God being faithful in His merciful acts towards others. So He is keeping 
mercy and how that's related to the acts of His covenantal love. Um, someone said it like this, uh, God's love, Ahaba, initiates the covenant relationship, but His said is based upon His promises. Or in other words, His love launches the marriage, His said makes a go of it. Uh, so we, He continues through giving of mercy to sustain us. And, there, and therefore, when you're reading in the Old Testament, often what's translated in your King James there as mercy is often related to this covenantal love. And it's, and it's related to the covenant name of God, Yahweh, all capital letters in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D. Uh, in Psalm 136, we read that. Uh, Blessed be the Lord for His mercy endures forever. And it continues to have that refrain, for His mercy endures forever. And it talks about His covenant kindness, His covenant love that He gives towards His people. So that's where we left off, and we're trying to close the book on His ethical attributes. Uh, and we're, we're going to just talk maybe real quickly in a, in a shotgun style uh, about a few others that fit under this realm of His goodness and His love. Another one is this word compassion, compassion. Um, in Lamentations, and in fact, we have a song that comes from the very words of Lamentations, uh, but he says, his compassions fail not. Uh, so um, let's go ahead and read here Psalm 103. I had you open it, and we need to, <laughs> we need to at least read there. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Um, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. Now we have the aspect of His covenant love, His mercy here, but we also have something else, this declaration that He is slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, and then it ends this, uh, we should have kept reading in verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And it goes on to talk about that very thing, about the frailty of our nature. But here in verse 13 and 14, we're highlighting his compassion towards us. Um, this word is often translated pity, uh, love, uh, here in verse 8, that, that, uh, that word merciful, instead of being hased, is, is this very word raham, it's which, which is uh, to be compassionate. Um, it indicates this sympathetic view that he has as he considers us. Um, God is passionate towards us. Now, there is a theological term that is true, but I think people can take it 
wrongly. They talk about God being impassable. God being impassable. And some people, unfortunately, read this as a negation, or use this word as a negation, that God is without passion. What, they, what the doctrine means is, though in its basic form, is true. God is not like you and me. If I get angry, I'm liable to fly off the handle. I am very moved. I am very often controlled by my passions or my emotions. Does that make sense? And God is not like that. Uh, God is not... Is not uh, God, God is not uh, governed by his passions uh, in the sense that that uh, that that he can that his passions can override any other part of him. His passions are part of his uh, part of his all wise nature and everything else. But so we don't look at this word as impassable when you hear the word theologically as if God is is completely governed by his passions. God is love, but God is also wise. God is and God never in the exercise of his love ever ceases to be wise. Uh, ever ceases to 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 uh, to direct that love in the most wise manner. So in, if we're going to look at him being impassable, we must be able to just say, well, God is not governed. His passions are always in line with his wisdom um, in the acts that he does. Uh, so, so God does have emotions, and sometimes people will argue this in such a way that they end up with a stoic God, a God that is simply, a God that is simply aloof, and that's not the God of the Scriptures. God is love. God is truly passionate, and He's truly passionate uh, within Himself, within the Trinity. But also, He's truly passionate about those people that He loves, you that are saved. He is literally moved in passion towards you. Um, and that's what this word compassion, with, where he is literally, uh, where he is literally uh, uh, coming alongside of you, being passionate with, experience, uh, being sympathetic, empathetic. Uh, th- these are some of the terms that we can use that the Lord is actually alongside of us he is very passionate in the way that he is. He conducts himself with us. Um, the, the word raham is uh, the the mercy of both Exodus thirty three and uh, Exodus thirty four. Let's go ahead and go back there. Exodus chapter thirty three. Exodus 33 and verse 19. So just like, just like the other things, it's connected with the exercise of His divine name here as well, 33, 19. And He said, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That word mercy there is that compassion, this idea of compassion. Um, so, 
So he, when we talk about God being merciful and gracious in 34.6, it's the same idea. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, God. So we see the use of the name of the covenant in the name of God here. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. This idea of being mercy, merciful and gracious is that thing that is moved with compassion towards, gracious towards. And it's a basic characteristic of God throughout the scriptures. His compassion abounds or expounds, rather, His covenant name who he is in his acts of compassion towards us. And we're not surprised, said, said Frame here, to find him showing compassion for the sake of his covenant. God shows compassion for his people, even when we're ornery. <laughs> Amen. Uh, e- even, when, uh, even when we're rebellious, God is compassionate towards us. Consider Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the people, his people of Israel, uh, going about as, a sh- as, a, as sheep, not having a shepherd. He had compassion on them, and he fed them, and he gave them the things that he wanted. That was the exercise of his compassion when he broke the bread and fed the 5,000. Uh, so this is the compassion of God. Um, it says first, and, and this has become the ethical standard towards us as well. First John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We often read 16 or I'm often making reference at least to where hereby perceive we the love of God. But it goes on and says in verse, or, or in verse 16 it lays down the ethical standard of that love where it says we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren since he laid down his life for us. But verse 17 talks about how that, is, how that looks in actual compassion. He says, But whoso hath this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion. This, uh, this, uh, this is that moving of compassion that we've talked about before. Um, uh, so the, his bowels of compassion from, from him, how dwells the love of God in him? So, so the exercise of love is the exercise here of compassion. Um, so it's important for us to see, see uh, his, the compassionate nature of God, and it's also important for us to emulate that, that, that very thing. The wicked man to be forgiven a great debt and then refuse to show compassion in the same manner to the one that owed him very little was was an unethical and immoral thing. It was not after the standard of God's character. And compassion is a, is a, is a needful ingredient to the love of Christ. Um, here are some other terms, not just compassion, but uh, gentleness, meekness, humility. We can just add these words together, but these are, these are predicates of God or predicated to of God. Um, we don't often talk about, in fact, uh, this idea that God is humble, that God is meek. That doesn't, that doesn't seem to be something that you and I necessarily speak of in any, in any great sense. But God does have meekness. God does have humility. 
And these words are often described to him. Here are some of the words that are predicated of God in the Old, in the old New Testament. Um, anau, uh, prates, uh, uh, epikeia. Uh, the, these, are, uh, these are words that are often translated gentleness, meekness, and humility. And they're predicated of God. There are often things that you and I think of in a human way, but it's, but it's important for us to see how God conducts Himself towards us in a, way, in a descriptive way. God is gentle. Turn to Psalm 40. I want you to, I, I've talked about this before once upon a time. This has a lot of theological importance to it. Um, and I want us to come back to this thought. Here, here we see it in God's acts where it's also predicated to Him. Um, well, I forgot to give you a scripture for that. Stay there in Psalm 40. I'm just going to read a verse out of Psalm 18, if I get there. Psalm 18 in verse 35. Here it says, Thou thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, And he says, thy gentleness hath made me great. God has gentleness. In Psalm 40, verse 1, if someone could indulge me here for a second, as I try to draw a picture out, and I I talked about this probably four or five years ago on a Wednesday night. It's been a good while since we breached this topic. But it says, well, how does Psalm 40, verse 1 go? what, What does it say there? Psalm 40, not 140. All right, try it again, brother. All right, so it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me. I want us to focus a second on this word, inclined. This, 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 this actually takes on this idea that he stooped down. He literally stooped down. And, and the image that I get as I'm reading a text like this, and this is by no means uh, an isolated text, uh, just as he said in Psalm, Psalm 18 there, your gentleness made me great. God's gentle dealing. God, that's something being predicated of God as a real truth as a real attribute. And you get this idea of a father stooping down to a two-year-old child to help them. That's, that's literally what, you're, what, what the picture that is being drawn, a stooping God, a gentle God that is 
that is coming down to where David was in order to aid David. So this is related to his love, it's related to his compassion, it's related to, related to his goodness and all these things that you and I talk about it, but this is, this is a predicated term, his gentleness, his stooping nature. How often do we think of God being humble or meek? Are these terms that we're comfortable with predicating of God? <laughs> oh, I'm, I know it's, I sat in a rhetorical way. Uh, I wasn't really expecting an answer either, but, but obviously we, we don't often hear God being described in His gentleness. But that's truly what it is. And by the way, that was the nature of Christ. Going back to the, to the Carmen Christi of, uh, of Philippians 2, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of, of no reputation. So that same, that same truth, that same person who... who did not have to grasp after deity. He, he was equal with God. And from there, he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Matthew chapter 23. And, or uh, Matthew 20, rather. Matthew 20 through 26, Jesus Christ Matthew 20, 20 through 26, he teaches about the nature of leadership in the kingdom, about not being served, but serving. And then he presents himself in verse 28 of that very same thing. He says, even as the Son of Man, he came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom. Who's the Son of Man? This is the glorified person of God who is, whose kingdom is going to last forever and ever in Daniel 7. The Son of Man came to serve. And this is the standard for which we act. Think about it here. Think about how stooping of a nature God has. Well, first of all, before He even created, does humility exist in God? Does meekness, does gentleness exist in God? Are these honestly... Well, yes. Uh, you, 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 think of, you think of the terms where, where of Christ, where He is able to say, I have always done what pleased the Father. There's a stooping nature in God. There is, a, there is a humility that exists in God. Now, let us, when it comes to Him as He created, think about, uh, I, can't, I didn't write this down and I meant to write down the uh, reference to this, but I think you all recognize it as I quote it, where it says, God humbles Himself to behold the things in heaven. It's like Psalm 132 or something if someone wants to Google it or something, but he literally humbles himself to even look at the things that are in heaven. And, but yet he has done all these things. From the moment he says, let there be light, he has been making himself known in this world. He has literally been stooping 
the entire history of man to make himself known to them, to come down and aid them. So it's an amazing thing when we, all, when we consider this, uh, uh, this uh, truth of God as it is predicated of God in the Scriptures. Uh, there is a self uh, a frame goes on to say, I conclude that Jesus' self-abasement reveals something about the very lordship of God. How, how, I mean, he, how far down did our Lord sink? He quoted Psalm 22 from his crucifixion. Um, I, I've, I've looked at those words, my God, my God, why have why have you forsaken me for a very long time trying to parse out what they mean? And definitely those are words I, that should have been said by me forever, but he said them in my place. And I, I, that's usually the way I preach it, and there's a lot of truth in there. But if I was to make a quote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, what would come into your mind? You would finish it, right? <laughs> you, you would get it. So when God, when Christ is hanging up on the cross and He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those are the very first words of a song. He is bringing that to their minds of the people that are sitting there. And maybe even that entire section of Psalms that follows with Him being our shepherd and even in Psalm 24 with Him being the Lord of glory. I don't know how much was an intention, but He was intending to apply that Psalm to Himself. And what did that Psalm say about His humility? I am a worm and no man. And then it goes on to describe Him being crucified, Him being mocked. How far down did he stoop? But you're looking at the very nature of God when you're looking at the cross. You're looking at the very love of God, the very compassion of God. And it's intermingled with his gentleness, with his humility, uh, with his meekness. That is what God did. That's who, because that is who God is in his very nature. And, And unfortunately... This is uh, something that you and I rarely discuss among us, a need for us to, be, to take on that very same uh, character of God and to be meek, to be humble one towards another, to serve. That beca- his, his, his nature becomes our, our impetus there. Uh, Frame said this, he says, My perception is that the gentleness and humility are among the virtues least practiced by Christians today. But if God Himself can serve His creatures, surely we, who can boast of nothing except the cross, should be able to serve without seeking constantly to maintain or improve our own status or reputation. And that's what, we, what, that's what we're mostly concerned about today, unfortunately, as Christians, is how are we seen, how are we being lifted up, how is our reputation being bolstered by this or this or that. And that is not the character of Christ. That is not the character of God that we are meant to be put on. Um, so uh, let's see if I can finish here in the next 10 minutes. Uh, we also could talk about his beauty. This is also predicated of God as an attribute, the beauty of the Lord. Uh, 
Out of Zion, out of Zion the perfection of beauty has shined. Talking about the Shekinah, the presence of God, as describing as the perfection of beauty. It talks about um, uh, the beauty of His holiness, Psalm 29, verse 2, and Psalm 96, verse 6, and things of that nature. Uh, God designed the temple to be a beautiful place. Um, the temple is itself meant to be an image a pattern of the heavenly things themselves where God is the glory of all. And the beauties of the earth and human art are meant to be an analogy of that very thing. And of course, are meant to mirror His attributes. God is the source of all beauty. And His beauty serves to be the norm of all that we consider beautiful. So that's part of that's an aspect of His goodness as well. Uh, God rejoices in His creation. God rejoices in His people. He He desires. To take delight in us, as much as we does, as much as we must, by the by the fact of His beauty, to delight in Him. Um, and He's put these very things into our hearts. This joy. What's one of the fruit of the Spirit? Is the joy of the Lord. Uh, and when we're and we're when we're rejoicing in the Lord, we are out, we're literally taking on that very aspect, uh, becoming more like God. Here's another one, and I'm just running through these in bullet points. Uh, God is described as peace, or peaceful. Um, You know the word, uh, the Old Testament word, shalom, right? You've heard that before, shalom. That's peace. Um, the New Testament word is uh, is where we get the the lady's name Irene <laughs> means peace. Uh, Irene. Uh, the scripture refers this to be a quality of human life given to us by God, a blessing of salvation, being justified by uh, by faith. We have peace, uh, but the implication is certainly that it's a divine attribute. Said frame. He says he is called the God of peace. Let's look at this. Uh, Romans chapter 15 is an instance of this. Just one instance. Romans 15. My pages are sticking together and I'm having a hard time getting there. But Romans 15 and verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you. Amen. Be with you all. Amen. In fact, uh, when in Judges 6, he is given as part of his divine name. He is called the Lord of peace uh, or 
or Yahweh Shalom. That's, part, that's, that's one of his names, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom, uh, whether you want to anglicize uh, the name of God or not. Uh, but, but the Messiah is the Prince of Peace. Uh, peace is a very common, it, 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 this becomes a very common way that we talk, uh, that the Christians themselves would talk to one another. It was a very, very common in the scriptures to run into, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, this, this, uh, this idea of shalom being a, a greeting, peace be unto you, or, uh, or, or, or not just a greeting, but a, a goodbye. <laughs> I can't think of the word, uh, but but uh, we, we they would say in passing, go in peace. Uh, even in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, this became a, a standard for us to say our farewells. Um, to end the epistles, he would say, "In the peace of God be with you," and and things of that nature. Um, uh, the gospel itself is a message of peace, being a message of the cross itself. Uh, so. It's important for us to see that peace is a, is a characteristic of God. Um, and I'm trying to just hit the highlights of this so we can finish here in the next minute or two. Um, Frame says here, peace comes from God alone since the fall has made us prone to wars and fightings, as in James chapter 4. But peace, as all other blessings of salvation, makes us like God, um, in the sense of conforming us more to His image. It comes from Him, and it is after Him. And just a, just a couple, just one more point as far as Him being good he's good because he's blessed he is the blessed god it's a truth being predicated of him that he is blessed and we attribute it to him often in our prayers blessed be god or blessed is god um, and uh we're speaking of this joyous nature this, uh, that He has. We can easily understand what it means for God to bless us, to make us happy, to, to, um, to uh, shower us in, in, in a way of, of, of joy. But what does it mean when it says that we are to bless God? And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of frame here. Although, as we will see, God has no needs, nevertheless, creation benefits Him by displaying His attributes, His grace, goodness, wisdom, power, and so on, glorifying His name. Uh, we recall that He does His mighty works so that people will know that He is Lord, eliciting the praises of His creatures. Um, and, th and that's what we are to do, is we are to attribute the blessing and praise to God in all things and mirror that so His name may be praised uh, for His great blessings. Um, and I think we're going to end there. Uh, we're going to get into some, 
other stuff. But these are just some things that are predicated of God, and I think it's important for us to see God in the light of these things. Um, he is, why he's blessed, he's also... Uh, Well, I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm going to just stop there before I open up a can of worms. But I think these are important attributes for us to see of God. And we'll just end there. So next week we're going to get into God's attributes of righteousness and holiness. What does it mean that God is righteous? What does it mean that God, God is holy? And we'll pick up from there. Any questions, grievances, or complaints? That's part of his. Amen. Gender questions. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, I'm glad you found it. He revealed it to you. And that's part of that stooping nature that we have. I mean, he came to where we were. He made himself known to us. He, he inclined unto us. He stooped down to where we were in order to make himself known and to aid us and to help us and to bring us along. And we would be nowhere without the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the compassion and all these things of God that... Uh, that uh, the, 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 these are not just words we throw around. This is the very nature of God that we're talking about. Uh, that, like I said, like, like that, like that child uh, stooping down, <laughs> stooping down, a father stooping down to a two-year-old to help him tie his shoes or help him or wipe his wipe his tear away or something like that. That's that's what God is, and therefore that's what God does. Um, the, the, fact, the fact that he's with me in my Bible reading and showing me things still over and over and over again and revealing himself to me is just, just as much as his continuing acts of mercy uh, and kindness and goodness as, as his, was his saving our souls uh, and, or creating us or anything else. We serve a, a, a wonderful God.
Any other questions or complaints or grievances? I always want to give you all a chance to grieve if you want to. <laughs> Well, eventually we'll get over it and we'll forgive you for it. <laughs> All right, we got about uh, we got 15 minutes before the second hour. Uh, Lord bless.